although I am not disposed to maintain that the being born in a workhouse is in itself the most fortunate and enviable circumstance that can possibly befall a human being, I do mean to say that in this particular instance it was the best thing for Oliver Twist that could by possibility have occurred. Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xonophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, Dick Mine, Art Tatum, and Joseph M. White all have birthday segments. We'll have yet another episode of One Thing thing in Common. And in the final segment, we'll do the twist. There's an old cliched line in Hollywood westerns that goes, This town ain't big enough for the two of us, and it ain't me who's gonna leave. But I'm very happy to say that is not the case when it comes to the airwaves and vintage music radio programs. All of my fellow vintage music broadcasters, podcasters, and record collectors are a collegial community and are more than happy to share when it comes to information, research, digital files, sometimes the records themselves, and even listeners. Most of you, I'm sure, in addition to this show, are also fans of Randy Bryan's Forward Into the Past, Dennis Campa's Adventures in Sound, and Brian Wright's Shellac Stack to name but a few. Back on March 5th, Brian Wright played a record by Dick Mine, a name which was new to me. Listener Rich wrote to draw my attention, suggesting that I give Dick Mine a whole birthday segment, which I'm happy to do, and I don't think Brian will mind at all. Last week, October 5th, 8th, or 10th, depending on the source, marked the birth in 1908 in Takashima, Japan, of Tokuichi Mine, He became interested in Western music from listening to his mother's record collection, and while a student at Rikyo University, was singing part-time in jazz bands and dance halls under the stage name Koichi Mine. After graduating, he got a job as a bank clerk, but left to pursue a career in music. He gained fame as a singer and drummer with Noriko Awaya's orchestra and landed a contract with Teichiku Records, whereupon he formed his own band, Dick Mine and his Serenaders, who also performed as the Teichiku Jazz Orchestra. Their first record, a cover of Dinah, was cut on August 7, 1934, and featured Nanri Fumio, Japan's first great jazz trumpeter. Dinah became an instant hit for Mine, leading to dozens more records. In the late 1930s, Mine was signed by Nikatsu Studios, and appeared in supporting roles in a number of films. His last hit record was made in 1982, and he died from heart failure on June 10, 1991. The record that Brian Wright played on his March 5th show was Black Eyes, but here are three others by Dick Mine. <laughs> Thank you. 
しい君ずか寂しさ寂しさ甘うさや風に胸は痛むのよ恋し昔の夢も去りて今は一人で佇む他の家甘しい浮ぶよ君をいずこなかなか The original poem was written in the late 1920s by Kikutaru Takahashi, a newspaper reporter who was a frequent visitor to Ginza Street on the occasion of the retirement of one of his favorite female entertainers. It's actually slow and depressing, and is about someone going through a difficult time being away from his love, and the fact that alcohol only brings tears and sighs. In 1930, Takahashi sent the poem to Nippon, Colombia. And asked that it be set to music by the young composer Masao Koga. The first recording of the song by Ichiro Fujiyama was an instant hit. Takahashi moved to Tokyo and became a full time lyricist, 
with more than 3,000 compositions to his credit by the time of his death. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. Last week, October 13th, marked the birth in 1909 in Toledo, Ohio, of Arthur Tatum Jr., better known as Art Tatum. He began studying the violin at age 13, but soon gave it up in favor of the piano. He received formal musical lessons from Overton G. Rainey, who disliked improvisation and jazz. Not so Art, who was inspired by James P. Johnson and Fats Waller. In 1927, he won an amateur piano competition and soon had a daily program on WSPD Toledo, as well as local club dates. By 1929, his radio program was being heard nationwide on the NBC Blue Network, and he was playing in other Midwestern cities. In 1932, Adelaide Hall heard Tatum play, and she recruited him to go to New York as part of her band. Around 1936, Tatum moved to California, where he played for Hollywood parties, appeared on Bing Crosby's radio show, and recorded with Art Tatum and his swingsters. In March of 1938, he traveled to England aboard the Queen Mary, where, over the next three months, he played at Ciro's Club, appeared on BBC television, and had four of his compositions published. Back in the U.S., Tatum had residencies at the Three Deuces in Chicago, the famous Door in New York, and formed a trio with guitarist Tiny Grimes and bassist Slam Stewart. Years of heavy drinking, little rest, and poor diet took their toll, and Art Tatum died November 5, 1956, at just 47 years of age. With a shout-out to listener Craig in Connecticut, who was originally from Toledo, where his father went to Art Tatum's alma mater, Scott High School, here are three from Art Tatum... Posthumous recipient of the 1989 Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Thank you. 
only can be friends Though there is no hope for me And you and I must part Still this is the way the story
Court Tatum and his Swingsters on DECA 1198, February 26, 1937, with Plenty of Money and You, composed by Harry Warren. This was an instrumental, but there are words written by Al Dubin. Before that, Adelaide Hall, the crooning blackbird, accompanied by Art Tatum with Strange as It Seems, written by Andy Rizaf and Fats Waller. Brunswick 6376 was recorded August 5, 1932. We started our little tribute to Art Tatum with Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Lady from Brunswick 6553, March 21, 1933. It's time now for another episode of One Thing in Common, where we play a set of rapidly rotating records which seemingly have nothing whatsoever to do with each other, yet have... One thing in common. Thank you. 
The Pigeon on the Gate, a traditional Irish reel performed there by O'Leary's Irish Minstrels on Columbia Green Label, 33353-F, recorded in November of 1928. O'Leary's Irish Minstrels was one of the leading Boston-based Irish-American bands of the late 1920s. They were led by fiddler Joseph S. O'Leary and played traditional Irish reels, as well as modern songs by Irish-American composers in Irish dance halls, as well as on O'Leary's own radio show on WEEI Boston. Others in the group on this recording were Jerry O'Brien on accordion, Johnny Maloney on banjo, and at the piano, Artie Kolar. Before that, Joe King Oliver's Creole jazz band with Alligator Hop, written by Oliver and Alphonse Picou, whose name is misspelled on the label of Jeanette 5274, recorded October 5, 1923. In the 1920s and 30s, there were lots of groups calling themselves the New Yorkers, one of which was led by George Carhart and played at the Valencia, a restaurant and dance hall in Berlin, Germany. They recorded two sides on the Home Accord Electro label in late 1927, but when Carhart returned to the U.S., without paying his musicians, by the way, guitarist Tony Morello became leader. The group included Reedman and arranger Danny Polo and recorded 14 sides in two sessions for the Tri-Ergon label. We started the set with one of these, Ostrich Walk, written by Larry Shields and Henry Ragas of the original Dixieland Jazz Band. This February 21, 1928 recording was on Tri Ergon 5134 with the band credited as Tanz Orchester, the New Yorkers, Aus der Valencia, Berlin. So we've got ostriches, alligators, and pigeons. What do these have in common? Well, there was a craze in Southern California in the early 1900s of unconventional farms, not raising fruits or vegetables, but animals. In the late 1800s, Edwin Coston imported about 50 ostriches from Australia and created Coston's Ostrich Farm, which sold ostrich feathers, eggs, and meat. Coston's Ostrich Farm was located in South Pasadena and covered nine acres. It became a huge tourist attraction where you could ride in carts pulled by the giant birds and take selfies with them. Costin's even had its own stop on the Pacific Electric trolley line and lasted until 1935. Then there's the Los Angeles Alligator Farm, which opened in 1907 in Lincoln Heights. The gators were trained to carry people, including children, on their backs. What? What's that? What? I know. The alligator farm moved to Buena Park across from Knott's Berry Farm in 1953 and closed in 1984. The California Pigeon Farm was established in 1898 by J.Y. Johnson. It was located alongside the Los Angeles River across from Elysian Park, near the current location of Dodger Stadium. In 1914, it was the world's largest pigeon farm, home to more than 100,000 birds, which produced squab meat and a staggering amount of bird guano sold as fertilizer. A storm that year caused the L.A. River to overflow undermining the coops and completely destroying the farm. In addition to those farms, in 1924, William Hewlett, not that one, the other one, began operating the country's first butterfly farm in Upland, just a few miles from where I am right now. It operated into the mid-1950s. There was also a frog farm, 
several silver fox farms, and a goldfish farm, not to mention Gay's Lion Farm, a five-acre park opened in 1925 in El Monte, a few miles east of Los Angeles. It operated as a lion breeding facility and tourist attraction and was home to about 200 lions until 1942. To this day, the sports teams at El Monte High, where my wife went to school for a year, are the El Monte High Lions. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all of our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all, online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. Yesterday, October 14th, marked the birth in 1891 in New York City of Joseph M. for Malachi White. He was singing professionally and recording as early as 1915, but enlisted in the Army on July 15, 1917. He departed for service overseas aboard the troop transport ship USS Pocahontas on May 17, 1918, and was honorably discharged on April 3rd the following year. Beginning about 1920, he received formal lessons from E. Presson Miller, a well-known private voice teacher who lived and worked in the Carnegie Hall building in New York City. On February 12, 1925, the hour-long musical variety program, the Goodrich Silvertown Orchestra, debuted over WEAF. As you might have guessed, it was sponsored by the B.F. Goodrich Company, manufacturer of Silvertown Cord automobile tires. The orchestra was conducted by Milton Rettenberg and Jack Shilkrit, and the show's announcer was Phil Carlin. Guest performers included Henry Burr, pianist Frank Banta, comedian Monroe Silver, and xylophonist Sam Herman. Joseph M. White had been heard on WEAF as early as 1923, but in 1925 the Goodrich Silvertown Orchestra program concealed his identity, introducing him simply as the silver-masked tenor. His identity was kept secret until 1929. He managed to get through service overseas in World War I without injury, but in 1943, as he was trying to make a comeback in radio, he slipped on a wet floor, breaking his left leg, which had to be amputated. Joseph M. White died February 28, 1959, of a cerebral hemorrhage and is buried at Long Island National Cemetery. On most of his recordings, White is credited as the silver-masked tenor, but here he is under his real name.
skies You're the sweetest girl this side of heaven With your tiny turned up nose And your cheeks just like the rose You're the sweetest girl this side of heaven I can hear the angels Call me dear With your loving arms clinging Seems that heaven's mighty near Since my heart has told me so Sure I want the world to know You're the sweetest girl this side of heaven
We begin our tribute to Joseph M. White with The Troubadours, directed by Nat Shilkrit and Moments with You. Shilkrit wrote the music and Joseph M. White sang the Jack Yellen lyrics, but you wouldn't know it because he's not credited on the label of Victor 21327. Perhaps that's because it was made February 16, 1928, while White's identity was still under wraps on the Goodrich Silvertown Orchestra radio show. Next, White is credited without his middle initial on the label of Columbia 2188-D, made April 10, 1930, after his run on the Goodrich show. That was You're the Sweetest Girl This Side of Heaven, played by Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians. Gus Kahn wrote the lyrics, and Harry Archer and Carmen Lombardo the music. We finished up with Justin Ring and his orchestra, credited on the label of Perfect 15430-B, as Dick Cherwin and his orchestra with Chimes of Spring. Paul Link wrote the music, and Joe White was credited with singing the L. Wolf Gilbert lyrics. For this final segment, let's do the twist, shall we? Thank you. 
that for a finish to the show. William Joseph Merrill, better known as Billy Merrill, with All of a Twist. That's one of six pieces Merrill wrote in 1925, which he called Pianolets, and one of his first two recordings for HMV, the other Eskimo Shivers. And we started that twisted set with the Oliver Twist. See what I did there? The Oliver Twist and All of a Twist? That's silly. Yes, yes it is. That was Adrian Schubert masquerading as Russell Carlson's dance orchestra with the vocal by Jack Kaufman. Apex 8964 was recorded April 23, 1929. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. (laughs) ¶¶